welcome to machine learning so we'll have a little 40-minute talk here on the state of machine learning and I want to talk right off the bat about process again because one of the things that <clears throat> you'll see is how difficult it is to find areas that can use machine learning. So it has to be something where performance is important, where predictive analytics is critical. And uh, one, of, one of those areas is pricing. <clears throat> I always found it interesting when I worked uh, for a healthcare company as a consultant, how Many times the salespeople would contact me once they realized I could, I could write the queries that could um, analyze premiums and payouts. So they'd always want to come over and and see how um, <clears throat> to get extract data <clears throat> on those areas, and then they could put it into their spreadsheets and run calculations and, and get their numbers. But they were doing the early parts of BI. They were trying to understand what uh, what policies or premiums might be uh, a sector or a target that they wanted to promote to make some money. And those are things that uh, um, are important. But one of the things I didn't realize while I was putting all this together is I, I understood the data. I understood how to to get the data, I understood how to do the joins and the queries and subqueries and the tables, and I knew how to read the ERDs, uh, entity relationship diagrams. Big deal, you know, to be able to uh, take the data that's been stored and retrieve it. It's not a simple process. Even though you you think, well, you know, I just take data cap course and learn how to do joins and stuff. But, you know, that's great, but you have to understand the business process and how they overlay the business process with the data. And so the, the data represents something that's going on in the business, whether that's functioning well or poorly can be determined from within the data itself. And, uh, and you have to look at the data and analyze it for anomalies because sometimes the data isn't clean. I noticed that even with some of the uh, data I was retrieving this week that it was for a particular phase, and in that phase it uh, they had overlaid two different uh, costings. And so in the description itself, uh, it reflected the, the change in the costings. So... Um, it was only good to a certain point, and I had to exclude those those anomalies to get my numbers because I could see all of a sudden at a certain year, just my cost went just crazy high, and couldn't figure out why. And and then after analyzing the data, then I realized that there was a mixture of different types, and your data is going to be messy. <laughs> So you have to clean your data, and you have to analyze your data, and you can't assume that the data 
be a certain way because sometimes it's not normalized correctly. And as strange as it sounds, even in ERPs, there are ways to violate the rules of normalization so that you can have um, groupings or categories that have to be re-engineered um, and somewhat cleaned before you can use them. And that's just for just general queries. So you're always looking at these edge cases for anomaly. But one of the things that process helps you see is the areas that are hot in a company. And don't assume just because you have a project manager that you understand that what is really hot in the company uh, what's heating up? What's got creating lots of demand? And you may think it's HR. You may think it's payroll because uh, you're, you're focused in on those individuals. And in reality, maybe it's, it's something else. Something else that's growing really fast and you're, you're not watching it. And, uh, and you, you're seeing the effects and you're seeing the revenue coming in and you're seeing the profits but you're not really understanding what's driving it and why there's these uh, these cost of factors that are are um, increasing and and maybe it's as those in, those things are increasing maybe that reflects the risk that your company is at and so I've been doing a lot with risk management and uh, and also. Uh, analyzing costs that are associated with risk. And see, that then that's the area where you can apply predictive analytics, is that there's probabilities, there's occurrences. It's just like trying to detect fraud. There's certain uh, occurrence patterns that happens that could indicate probability of fraud. It's certain times of the day, certain locations, certain IP addresses, etc that could suggest fraud. And th and these are also true with risk and safety, that there are certain profiles, maybe uh, time in service is a good indicator. you got young people on the crew who aren't aware of all the safety procedures that take shortcuts because they're in a the hurry or they're kind of a daredevil and they end up getting hurt. Um, and so the line of business that I'm in is, is inherently dangerous. And uh, and so training and safety has to be a high priority in, uh, in the senior management mind. And the information technology can be used to help identify what is actually happening. So as the training is occurring, as cost is occurring, you know, you can draw a correlation. And then that's where I think the neural nets have to get better, is that they just can't be narrow anymore. They need to look across the organization, across uh, organizational lines and boundaries, and examine these correlations to see, you know, if something is correlated and you can show causation 
through the data, which is that's one thing that I, I realize was statistical analysis, is that something could be correlated, but the probability of one thing affecting another in terms of a desired output, maybe like profit, you're trying to predict whether one thing with another thing will generate a profit, that those things might not yield results. And there's some there's some famous ones that they show you in uh, data camp. I was just trying to remember it. Like um, uh, right off, I can't recall it, but it's kind of vaguely in my mind that there were two variables that were that showed correlation, but when you actually looked at the outputs for probability, they didn't didn't relate to each other in terms of uh, profitability, and so combining these two things in a sales campaign wouldn't have made sense, even though they were tightly correlated. And and, and I don't know why they would have been correlated, other than maybe coincidence. You know, there's some things that are kind of coincidental that they just kind of line up, but they don't really contribute to the overall outcome. And, and and that's the kind of things that you want to be thinking about when you're analyzing lots of data, you know, and you're you're going through a lot of your user tests looking for things that may correlate and, and improve performance. There's this uh, desire for efficiency, and you know, using AI and machine learning to increase that efficiency can have a big payback, and and that's what I. That's what I see with the process is that you start with process, you go through, understand the business, understand how the business makes money, and then you start looking at these areas of efficiency where you can start uh, extracting the data that you need and then looking for combinations of key indicators that might have an impact on the organization. So if you have low safety incidents, then and higher levels of training, maybe there's a correlation there. And so if you can prove that the higher level of training led to lower incidences of accidents and better um, better mitigation of hazard, then you might say that it's worth the cost. So maybe you you spend. $300 million to, to do the training necessary to facilitate um, awareness, safety awareness, and at the same time, you save $400 million in accidents or long-term uh, long compensations then that balance becomes cost-effective. Then you're, that becomes a core value to your company. And that's that's what I, I find interesting is what are these core values to companies? You know, speed, that's like last night we talked about uh, Jack Welch and his core values were to use internet because internet would speed up process and he implemented Lots of development, lots of, uh, of process was sped up by using digital. 
and that's automation is how you improve quality, how you improve process, how you improve efficiency. And that's why the data scientist is now becoming so in demand is that companies now are competing against each other and they're realizing that there are these values in efficiency. Maybe they're getting 10% efficiency improvement, 4% improvement. But what does that efficiency improvement do for the profit line? Maybe it increased profits by uh, 5%. But what would 5% profit look like? And then how could you use that 5% profit to grow your company? So this has become now strategic thinking initiatives. So you now have this new source of income. And profit, what do you do with it? How do you take that profit and acquire other acquisitions that could uh, be strategic and help your company grow? And so that's what GE was doing, is it was almost following a Cisco model where it was acquiring companies and then through the acquisition of those companies, uh, obtaining talent. Because you might think it was just the products they were buying. I don't think so. I think that they were buying the talent. There's a huge talent shortage because products are going to be, uh, they have a certain lifespan of usability, and then something comes along and disrupts that and, and replaces it. Well, and I give you an example of that even in the technology realm. My wife was asking, do, do, does any of our computers have a CD-ROM? Well, it used to be every computer had a CD-ROM. And now to find a CD-ROM is very difficult. It's all done by USB. So everything is stored on USB now. And uh, so we... Uh, we do find these pockets where things become obsolete. You know, I remember iOmega had a zip drive, and they first came out with 25 megabyte, and it was really exciting because everything up to that point was uh, 1.44 megabyte, and even before that, it was 720 and 360. And before floppy disk, you used tape drive, and so these new mediums, these new technologies had significant improvements in their capabilities and they disrupted the existing technology. And so you can see kind of that there will be uh, more technologies that will come and go. And so, you know, the new thing in the AI realm will be using GPT-3 for a number of functionality. In fact, I just got another $6 grant to continue on answering questions using GPT-3. And what I'm finding is that the GPT-3 is really very efficient at answering the questions. And so I uh, utilize those questions and then I, I answer them on my podcast and make comments about them. But there's been a lot of questions I, I've seen flow in about how do you separate high-value stock from low-value stock in your portfolio, and you have to do 
portfolio management analysis because what it's going to do is it's going to show you in your portfolio based on the volatility of your stock what the maximum amount per day that you could lose. So if you're managing $100 million, you want a portfolio balanced out so that you know exactly what your maximum amount up to a 99% confidence uh, threshold will be of how much you will lose. And uh, these are are how big financial firms are able to confidently know what's going to happen with these funds on a daily basis. And they're using machine learning to do that prediction. So you can set up some mock financial profiles and begin testing it. And that's what you should do long before you ever buy any stock is build a uh, portfolio and then make predictions on uh, risk on that portfolio and then and then understand what your risk and reward is going to be and do the complete analysis. And I did that with a bunch of stocks that I was interested in with data storage, and I could see that data storage for uh, data centers was not where I'd like, like to invest money, even though it seems like that they would be the areas that are growing fastest, but they also have some of the highest cost up front. And so um, having that was not a, a exciting idea. You know, as I, I look at uh, how things are changing, you know, it's interesting that we still have policemen out on the road that are stopping you and and uh, giving you tickets. It seems like why, why isn't everything driven by AI? So if you're speeding, you know, you, the AI um, contacts your smartphone and, and lets you know that you're speeding or, or potentially you're approaching a speeding uh, violation and contacts you there. And it's just it's interesting that we're we do things kind of still the old way, where you you know you have to do the human intervention, and you know every touch point is a cost, you know it's a tax or a burden. So as you uh, you know you do things kind of from a craftsmanship standpoint, lots of craftsmanship and. You know, you take pride in the kind of the data craftsmanship. You know, you think about how non-scalable that approach is. You know, with maybe a hundred employees, you can do that, but at a thousand, it becomes more difficult, and and definitely at ten thousand, you can't do that. And so, organizationally, if you start to grow and scale, it becomes uh, impossible for you to keep pace. So now you have to work with larger teams that are doing 
different, uh, focusing on different segments of the business. Everything is partitioned. And uh, then you're working with some division manager or even higher than that, maybe a, a vice president that's over a 1,000 people that are providing value to 20,000 people below them. And so these networks and these systems and these processes are extremely complex. And AI has to become more usable in understanding complex systems and how they interact and how they're using and what's providing and provide value back. It's just the, and I see that a lot of times when I'm doing some AI coding and I'm trying to solve something. I'll uh, I'll just put that into the NLP to Python converter for GPT-3, and GPT-3 will kick out an answer for me, and I'll look at it, and I'll read what it's saying, and usually it's pretty simplistic, and then I'll try to enhance it. Maybe it got a part of the problem correctly and can be used. See, it's that element of usefulness that I like about AI is it doesn't always get the complete solution on the head. It gets, maybe it only gets part of it. And so uh, I do like that aspect of AI. And so I was trying this uh, approach where I was looking for a list of a list inside of a uh, JSON string. And I was able to get the list of a list, but just the single list I was having a problem on it. I have to uh, I have to rethink about how to do that. See, I need the list of the list or the list. That's the key is how do you do the or piece on that. Maybe it's simple. Um, so what I would do with the NLP is say code a function that finds either a list of a list or just a list and see if it can find, generate the regular expression for it. So the way it did it was it looked for a bracket, left bracket, uh, non-greedy word search, and then a bracket. So when it found that pattern and it was either one or more, uh, it considered that a match. And it also considered my um, comma in between the list as valid, too. So it, it was finding the list of lists correctly, but it couldn't find the list. So that, that became kind of a concern of why I couldn't find the list. And so, you know, the, the AI did help in part, but I couldn't get the complete solution working, and so I, you know, I had to go on to other things, and and uh, and I did. But those are those are some of the challenges that we face when when dealing with AI is um, creating things that are useful. Well, now how could that apply to process? Because that's what I'm really talking about today is process. Well. You have to talk to people to understand process. But once you get to talk to people, you, you start getting statements from them, like, here's what I'd like to know. And I have them write out what they want to know. And then I, you know, I, 
I've got a uh, you know few hundred queries that I've created over the last few years, and you know that's what you do. You you build your your data sets, you know, so that you can reuse those data sets. It's real critical that you're doing that. Just don't write queries to answer immediate questions. Otherwise, you begin to be a maintenance developer. You want to be someone that is building a framework. So build the framework and then utilize that framework to answer questions. And again, I, you know, I did a little analysis before and it's interesting, you know, because I wanted to position into the technical because that's where the action is. You're working with language and you're working with abstract concepts and, you know, you're, you're, you're getting the machine to do the work. Um, but what I realized is in order to do that, you have to do the human side, which is get them to communicate their requirements. And sometimes they don't even know the requirements because in the process that I had where I had been talking to an individual, we had gone several iterations over requirements and, you know, I built products for those requirements. And then in his process of analyzing what he had already completed, he realized he needed more information and so that brought up a new requirement. So I created a, a ticket for that requirement, and I'm starting to work on it. And it was interesting because I had previously been working on that particular requirement for another individual when they had made that request and came to the conclusion that it was impossible to answer because the data was bad. And so then I went and told the higher bees, that there was some problems in the data, which is always, is it really my job to be telling them that there's problems? I don't know. And sometimes that's a dangerous thing in your career to go around telling things that are problems in the system because they don't want to know. And uh, creates discomfort. And discomfort can affect whether or not you get your pay raises. But, uh, you know, it's still there. The problem still exists, and ignoring the problem didn't, it doesn't make it go away. 